Good morning. Uh, as Carla said, my name is Tyler Wayne. Uh, I'm so excited to be a part of this summer teaching series where we get to ask questions. That's such an important part of creating a faith of our own. But I feel like sometimes we make asking questions in faith kind of scary. And I love that Orchard isn't doing that this summer. Uh, we're welcoming the questions. And this morning's question is, what is so important about next generations? Well, let me tell you why next generations are so important. It's literally, as Carla said earlier, it's in our message or our mission here at Orchard. Our mission at Orchard is helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. It's right there in the mission. That's why next generations are important, and that's the end of my teaching here today. So I've got it. I'm going to pray here, invite the band up. They're going to play about 13 songs. Um, it's going to be awesome, all right? Now, I don't want to call anyone out here specifically, but I'm willing to bet there's a few adults in the room that are kind of nodding their heads in agreement, nudging the person next to them. You're like, yeah, see how that guy got right to the point there, pointed out in a mission. That's why it's important. I like this guy. Followed him from beginning to end. It was good, all right? Alice talked about it in her teaching a few weeks ago. Um, as adults, there's some point in our life where we just, like, stop asking questions. There probably isn't a single kid in this room who's buying what I'm selling right now um, with the, using the mission to answer this morning's question in under two minutes. The kids in the room, they want to know what's a mission, like who came up with this, uh, what's a generation. Is that the first book in the Bible with like the snake and the garden or... Is that that thing that dad always talks about that we should get when the power goes out? I think that's like important. Maybe that's a generation. Um, kids aren't just going to accept what they hear as fact. They're going to be unbelievably frustrating and ask all kinds of questions to help them understand the why behind what I'm trying to say here. So bottom line, kids can be pretty frustrating at times. And I want everyone to know and understand that I know how difficult kids can be sometimes. I know some of you might have heard the title of the teaching, saw that a, a guy's coming up here who chooses to be around kids all day for my job, um, and thought that this entire 25 minutes was just going to be me talking about how amazing kids are and how we need to spend more time with them, more time. Well, let me tell you about these kids sometimes. Sometimes they can be, I've got a list of some characteristics here, they can be disorganized, rambunctious, messy, and yeah, some of them can be a super sticky sometimes. Like, that's just the worst. They come running over for that big hug, and you feel those sticky fingers on the back of your neck, and you're glad that they hug you and they love you, because that's great, but you don't know how those fingers got sticky or what's going on there. <laughs> Kids can be pretty frustrating at times, and I, I do get that, and I totally understand that the nursery down the hallway is a reoccurring nightmare for some of you. I get that, all right? Kids just aren't for everyone. But hey, I've got another slide here because um, I think like adults are pretty frustrating, all right? So here's a list of characteristics um, that are sometimes frustrating about adults too. I've got that up here. <laughs> for those of you who are trying to find like the nine differences between the slides, they're the exact same slide, all right? We all know adults who are unmotivated right now, maybe a little overconfident, a little impatient. Have you ever been to the Hy-Vee parking lot? Those adults are pretty wild and impatient in the Hy-Vee parking lot. I'm betting we all know at least one adult who just always seems to be sticky. Like, did you have waffles with syrup and you didn't use any silverware? You're going for the handshake. Yikes, buddy. Oof. 
So I'm sorry to say, like, if kids aren't your thing, you don't really get to check out this morning. Sorry about that. All generations need help. They deserve to be invested in. I wasn't there when Orchard created our mission statement, but I'm guessing they had some conversations similar to this, and that's why they didn't just put helping kids encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. There are adults we need to invest in as well. No matter what generation you're a part of, and no matter how you feel about kids, God is going to give you opportunities to invest in those next generations. And he wants us to say yes to those opportunities. It's important, I promise. And as I thought about this teaching and the importance of investing in next generations, I started to ask how Jesus did this. When, when did this happen in the Bible? An example of Jesus investing in next generations can, of course, be found just about any time Jesus was interacting with his 12 disciples. Jesus chose 12 guys to invest in. Now, keep in mind, he could perform miracles all on his own. He could die for all of our sins on his own. Those disciples really didn't need to help him too much. And honestly, I think they often got in the way or seemed like to slow him down. And has anyone ever had that feeling before? You could teach someone to do a somewhat tricky task, but that would take even more time, and then they could mess it up completely, and then you would have to just end up doing it right anyway, so why not just not teach them how to do it and do it yourself the first time? It reminded me of a great quote from the wise Ron Swanson. We've all heard it, seen it, got it here, hopefully. Come on, Ron. Give a man a fish and feed him for a day. Don't teach a man to fish and feed yourself. He's a grown man, and fishing's not that hard. We've all heard that phrase, right? And I don't mean to completely shatter anyone's world too much this morning, but Jesus does not think the same way Ron Swanson does. I know, I may have just crushed some of you. Um, Jesus had some plans for his ministry, and he did lots of teaching, especially with his 12 disciples. He knew that he would eventually beat death and return to heaven for eternal life. He needed the next generations to be able to continue his ministry. He specifically spent a great deal of time with three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And he really took these three and did his best to mentor them and build their leadership skills. He knew that these three would need to be strong leaders who could handle the struggles that would come with continuing his ministry after he was gone. Mark chapter 9 is a great chapter for this. It paints a pretty cool picture of Jesus investing in the next generation. It starts with Jesus taking Peter, James, and John, just those three, up to a high mountain to wish, witness the act of Jesus being transfigured. Verse 3 in there says that Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. The moment, that moment on the mountain was a moment where Jesus was building some trust with these three disciples and planting some seeds for later. He knew that they needed to have strong belief in him and his power, and witnessing this event would help them with that. He was generous and gave them this gift of seeing this because he saw the potential in these three. And Mark 9 would continue with those four meeting up with the rest of the disciples, and they again get to witness the greatness of Jesus. They see Jesus drive demons out of a young boy, and right after witnessing that amazing miracle, along with that transfiguration, we find one of my favorite facepalm moments in the Bible in verses 30 through 37. And I say this is like a major favorite facepalm moment because I can totally picture myself in this story, along with either my brother growing up or my group of friends from high school. 
And there's just some stories in the Bible that leave us kind of feeling like that was from a different time, or there's no way that that could happen to me in that situation. This is not one of those stories. I can connect to this story big time. Um, So Mark 9, verses 30 through 36, read like this. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. My goodness, I can just hear my mom from the front of the car asking my brother and I what we were arguing about, and then we're just silent, of course. And Jesus is walking down the road with his disciples after just driving a demon out of a possessed child. And he's talking about how he is going to be delivered into the hands of men to be killed. And what are his disciples doing arguing about who is the greatest among them. Come on, guys. Is anyone else wondering why in the world Jesus is choosing to invest in these 12 guys? He's putting their ministry in his hands. They seriously can't even listen when someone is explaining like the ultimate twist ending to the greatest story in the history of the world. Jesus is telling them that he is going to die and then come back to life. How are they not following that amazing story? They're trying to decide which one of them is the best second place because Jesus is obviously first. Now, my oldest son's baseball team coincidentally has 12 boys on it, just like the 12 disciples, and I try to help coach them every now and then here. And if I was trying to explain to them how they were going to completely screw up in the early innings of a championship game, only to come back and win it all, and then I found them arguing about who has the best batting average of all of them, I don't think I would respond in the same way that Jesus did. I would hope I would maybe take a deep breath calmly ask them to exit the dugout, and then I'd grab every one of their precious little flavored sunflower seed bags, and I think I'd eat them all. I'd shove them all in my mouth. The barbecue, the taco supreme, the Old Bay flavored one. That's how I think I would react. But I don't, I don't see myself using it as a teaching moment like Jesus did. Jesus luckily knew the importance of investing in the next generations, and he didn't even scold them or get mad at them. He says, anyone who wants to be first, must be the very last and the servant of all. And he goes on to say, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus knew exactly what to say and what buttons to push in that moment because he knew those disciples. He had built strong relationships and gotten to know them. He knew that they needed that in that moment to make the growth that they needed to make. Jesus wasn't just teaching those 12 disciples either at that moment. He was teaching us too. It's not about getting to the top of the metal stand or the top of the company. There's power in serving others. And in our society, a lot of times the power lies in being first. In Christianity, the power lies in being last. Giving up your own time to help others and invest in them, it has power. There are people in our community who get this. People at the top of organizations 
who put others' needs in front of their own. They give up their precious time to walk alongside someone who has some potential. They know the power of Jesus and how investing in others can have an impact on building his kingdom. Now take a moment now and think about the times lately where you have wanted more than anything to be first, to be the best. And if you were walking down the road with Jesus while you were getting caught up in those thoughts, what chat would he maybe have about you? Because he wouldn't scold you, he wouldn't get mad. He'd have some piece of wisdom to get you thinking. What piece of wisdom would he have for you in that moment? Who would he maybe push you in the direction of to help or spend a little more time with to help them along with their growth? Jesus did this exact thing in the Bible. <coughs> he helped to guide people towards others that they may not have expected to be leaders so that they could help them grow and take their next steps. Paul was a very important piece with Next Generations of continuing Jesus' ministry. He knew, though, that he couldn't do this work forever either. And that brings us to the books of the Bible of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Now, Timothy was a leader of a church. And Paul wrote him letters teaching him so many of the lessons and knowledge he had learned. And these books of the Bible are full with leadership lessons and have, been gr have great stories about investing in others. Now, there's verses 12 through 17 um, in the first chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. And those verses that Paul wrote to Timothy that I want to share with you this morning. They read like this. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once, even though I was once a blasphemer and a, and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love these verses because when I often think about investing in someone younger than me, I think about making sure they know how great and wise I am. Like before I work with them, I should give them a long list of my accolades so they know, like, you can trust me. You can trust what I say. Paul doesn't do anything close to that to earn Timothy's trust. He's honest with him. It's a bold strategy. I'll say that again. He's just honest with him. He shares with Timothy that he was the worst of the worst, but for some reason he was chosen and given strength to continue the mission. He was saved by this Savior who came to this world to save sinners, even the worst of the worst. And there's a line in verse 16 that I kind of read over the first few times when I read this, but eventually caused me to pause. Jesus might display his immense patience. When we're mentoring, teaching, and investing in others, we might need to display immense patience. Some of you are nodding your head. Absolutely. Jesus does it with us sinners every single day. He's the perfect model for that. But I know I don't realize it often enough. Paul made sure that Timothy knew that he was last. The best leaders are the ones who work to serve others and make them better. 
Those leaders aren't racing to the top and leaving everybody behind. They're guiding others to the top with them. They're building everyone up. That is what investing in next generations is. It's in the Bible with Jesus and disciples. It's in there with Paul and Timothy. And it's right here in our community too. Orchard has this happening. And I say this with complete confidence because I have been part of this helping next generations on both sides of things. I have been the one invested in and I have been fortunate enough to help others and help invest in others. And after reflecting on my experiences with this, I have three big ideas that have come from my experiences. And these three big ideas will spell tag because at the end of this, tag, you're it, and it's time to invest in others. That's the teacher of me coming out, sorry. Um, so the first big idea that helps me when I'm thinking about investing in next generations is to tell them that Jesus loves them. I grew up in Cedar Falls, and during my junior year in high school, I started taking some steps in my faith life. I joined a high school small group that met on Wednesday nights right here in this room, and it's called Big House at this event. And I had a small group leader that told me that Jesus loves me, and it isn't just any kind of love. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that you feel at the beginning of a new relationship when everything is amazing, except this love that you feel lasts throughout the entire relationship with Jesus. And I tell you what, as a 16-year-old kid, hearing that someone out there who wasn't my family loved me unconditionally just made me feel like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. And I can still remember sitting in that coffee house over there before the remodel looked a little different. Um, and it kind of was that picture that might remind you of verse 18 from 1 John chapter 4 that talks about how perfect love casts out all fear. And I had to hear that Jesus loves me again and again and again. And each time it helped my teenager brain realize that everything was going to be okay. There was this Jesus guy who loved me no matter how much I screwed up. And we all know teenagers screw up a lot. It's a simple sentence that he loves us, but it's a sentence that holds so much power and can absolutely be a game changer for some people. Second one, allow them to see what it means to be last. When we are investing in next generations, we have to model how to serve others. This is a learned behavior. Humans do not do this naturally. We are selfish by nature. So this is something that has to be modeled and taught over and over again. I have seen this so much during my lifetime, especially here at Orchard. Um, every time I get to teach on a Sunday morning, either Alice or Jeff, sometimes both, if things are looking real sketchy for me, give up time out of their busy schedule to read through my teaching, give me feedback, make it sound and look way better. Um, and they give up their time to help me. And Jeff's been showing me how to serve others for quite a while now. A few years back, um, Jeff and his wife, Cindy, they had three young and active kids with unbelievably busy schedules. And those two somehow found time to meet with my fiance and me at the time um, for our premarital counseling. Who seriously wants to find time out of their busy schedule to meet with two 21-year-old kids who are absolutely, completely in love, but also like completely lost at the same time. Doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. And not too many people would sign up for that. But Jeff and Cindy did. And my wife and I still remember things that we learned from our time with Jeff and Cindy. And they probably had about like 53 other things that they could do during that hour each week. But instead, they said yes to investing in a couple of 21-year-old kids. 
And speaking of kids, my wife and I, we spent a good chunk of years here at um, Orchard teaching a sixth grade small group on Sunday mornings. And every school year, we'd have this super special Sunday morning where the Ed Baker would come and answer any question that sixth graders had about faith. Who signs up for that? You can imagine the questions that sixth graders would ask, let alone a big deal like Ed. I mean, he has been a leader at Orchard long enough to where I have seen a black and white photo of him leading Orchard. He had some amazing sideburns. He's a big deal. He's top dog. And for some reason, he was giving up a Sunday morning, maybe his only free Sunday morning that he had, to come answer questions from sixth graders. He chose to be last. He knew the power in being last. There are many people here at Orchard who know the power in being last. Then my last big idea about investing in next generations is the toughest for me. Give them the space and time they need to have a faith of their own. As a parent and former junior high and high school small group leader, this is tough for me. I spent quite a few years um, being a small group leader to high schoolers. Um, I can remember, we all kind of remember that one small group. I had one. I led them for all three years of their high school. I remember the first night we had small group. Um, I had no co-leader, about 16 sophomore boys. We were down in the big house and no hope for getting anything accomplished, just a bucket of candy that I would hopefully use for light bribery to maybe get them to do something. Long story short, they got a hold of the bucket of candy within the first 10 minutes. They used it to play dodgeball or dodge candy throughout the big house. And I feel like this is a good time to remind you, I led them for three whole years after that first one. In this small group, we often didn't do what we were supposed to do. We didn't get to the questions. We didn't talk about the teaching. But I gave them space to ask questions and take their time with their faith. And I could have forced their faith story on me. And don't get me wrong, I shared my faith story as much as I could. But I didn't want to force them to make the same choices that I did in high school. I remembered what it was like to have a faith of my own. So I played the long game. We kept in touch um, throughout the years. I wish we would have been more in touch throughout the years. Um, but this past summer, we had an amazing event. One of them, nine years after graduating from high school, got married. And so a bunch of them came back. Got a picture of the groom and my two boys. Uh, mainly wanted to put this picture up here because my oldest is a Hawkeye fan. And you'll see he accidentally grabbed a Go Clones foam finger. Oof. <laughs> and at this, boy, at this uh, wedding, the boys and I caught up. And after they did the sorry for how crazy we were when we were young that we all do when we talked to someone who worked with us when we were younger, they were so thankful for the time or the space that I gave them that I showed up every Wednesday for them. And they were just, they were thankful that nothing was rushed or forced with them. I was just there if they needed me, whenever they needed me. And just showing up has power. So think about those moments in your life where Jesus just shows up over and over again. We can be like that in others' lives. We can be there for them. We can continue to show up again and again because today just might be the day where they want to know how they can have a faith of their own. When we show up and give these next generation space to grow, some pretty amazing things can happen. Do you remember those characteristics that we started our morning with? I've got them in case you forgot them. Sticky's still up there. When we give space and demonstrate that immense patience, those characteristics that were ever so frustrating can turn into these. And all it takes is giving people the space to grow. Messy can turn into complex. Mischievous can turn into curious. Those boys who may have driven me absolutely crazy during their high school years, grew into some pretty great men. I'm so thankful 
that God gave me the opportunity to invest in those men. Well, there you have it. Tag, you're it. It's time to invest in our next generations because it's important work. It's eternal work. It's work that I care deeply about. And I'm going to close this teaching this morning by sharing my personal most common prayer. It's the prayer that I have said the most um, in my life. And I started praying it about 11 years ago. And it's the prayer that I say more than any prayer. I pray to Jesus that he puts someone other than my wife and I in my children's lives to help them with their faith. And you know why? Because my parents did everything they could to help me with my faith, and nothing they did worked. Kids often don't listen to their parents. I didn't listen to my parents when they talked to me about my faith. But take a look at this last slide here. I took two minutes, and I came up with as many names as I could. These are the names of people who took time and invested in me when I didn't have any faith life whatsoever, or maybe very little as we were going there. That's why this is my most common prayer that I pray. I know the power of God placing people in our lives to help us grow in our faith. I know the power of people learning that Jesus loves them. The power of seeing and experiencing others choosing to be last and leading with servant hearts. The power of having space to grow with an adult who isn't your parent, who cares about you, who cares about you right there when you need them. We have to invest in our next generation. It's some of the most important kingdom-building work that we can do during our time here on earth. Where is God nudging you to invest in someone? Is it to personally mentor or invest time and effort in someone who is younger than you? Or is it maybe just to pray for someone that you know could use some guidance? Or is it to help sponsor a student to go on caravan, a life-changing trip? Or is it to help set up an event for student ministry? Investing in next generations can have a lot of different looks depending on what season of life you're in. I encourage you to take some time today, these next few days this week, slow down and listen to God for opportunities he may have for you where you can help with investing in next generations. The opportunities are always there. We just have to be ready to go after them. Please join me in prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm thankful that you give us these opportunities to invest in next generations. I know I personally am not always ready for them or see them coming or they might be a little more unexpected um, for me, but I know you have, you have a big plan of putting people in our lives. I, that last slide is so important to me of all the people you've put in my life. And I just pray that we can be more aware of those opportunities in your plan um, for us to invest in these next generations because it's such important work and it's work that you did and we read about and we've seen over the years and thank you for doing that work of investing in next generations. In your name, amen.